Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to the Hindu Studies channel of the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Raj Balkaran. Um, I'm a specialist in Hinduism. You can find out more about me at rajbalkaran.com. It is my pleasure today to be talking with Shucharata Adluri, who is Associate Professor in the Department of Philosophy and Comparative Religion at Cleveland State University. And today we'll be talking about her book, Textual Authority in Classical Indian Thought, Ramanuja and the Vishnu Purana. But before we get into the book, we should get into the author of the book. So welcome, Sucharata. Thank you, Raj. So maybe you can tell us just a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe where you hail from, how you got interested in this. You know, tell us a bit of your story. Yeah, um, so I received my master's and PhD in religious studies from um, University of Pennsylvania. And um, I had actually gone there to study with Wilhelm Halbfass, who unfortunately passed away two years into my uh, uh, sort of tenure there. And um, so Luda Roche then became my main mentor. But while there, I was um, I became interested in Sri Vaishnavism, uh, which is a, as you know, uh, a living tradition um, in um, South India. It had its beginnings in um, the 12th. Uh, 11th, 12th, 13th centuries. And uh, basically my book is about the beginnings of this tradition. Mm. Um, I, you know, reading in graduate school, I came across, um, you know, works that talked about Ramanuja as a um, a, a sort of a synthesizer of um, Vedanta philosophy and devotionalism and bhakti. So um, I asked a very simple question, uh, deceptively simple. In fact, uh, I, wa- I asked how he did that. How was how he to accomplish that? Mm. So, um, so that kind of then led me to uh, this text, the Vishnu Purana, that he uses um, uh, quite a lot in, his, um, in all his um, commentaries on the, um, the Vedanta canon, uh, which are uh, you know, commentaries on the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, and the Brahma Sutras um, Right. So, so now that we're entering a little bit of the meat of your book, first I want to say, you know, I naively didn't realize that you were mentored by Ludo Roche. And as excited as I was to do this book for a number of reasons, that is super exciting. His, his survey of the, of the Puranas is like the Bible of the Puranas. Exactly, yes. <laughs> and and for, for those of us who may be a little... Um, newer to the terminology, the Puranas is a group of texts that loosely can be thought of as, say, mythological texts, uh, legends, stories. So there's a class of texts in South Asia that contains the various lore uh, that most consider folk and, 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 and were sort of brutally received by colonial scholars, thinking they were haphazard, interpolated Brahmanical conceits. And now scholars like Sucharata and even myself are realizing the power of the Puranas, um, I asked this deceptively uh, naive question myself from, from my doctorate. 
which mm-hmm. essentially the book coming out later this month, which is why is the Devi Mahatmya framed by a king in exile? Like, what, what's it? Why is the story told to a king in exile? What's up with that? And so right. I, I, I get what you're saying about the dis- deceptively naive question of, well, how did Ramanuja accomplish this? Right. Um, before we get into the meat of the book, here's a question that I think is fascinating and I think apt. Ramanuja is this systematizer, this thinker, this philosopher, right? Right. Um, now, is traditionally in scholarship or even in, 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 in traditional Indian paradigms, is that achievement in a vein not incongruent or thought of as incongruent with looking at the Vishnu Purana or the Puranas or the, or the lore of India for support? Is there something compatible or incompatible about a, a, a systematic philosopher looking to narrative? Um, absolutely, especially in the context of Vedanta philosophy. Um, most, if not all, arguments uh, that commentators make um, in their works on Vedanta uh, refer to Shruti. Uh, you referred to Smriti earlier, uh, of which Vishnu Purana is a, um, is a text of the Puranic genre. Uh, most commentators usually rely on the uh, the scriptural uh, scripture of the of uh, the Upanishads, the Vedas, uh, which, which are thought to have a uh, a higher authority uh, than Smriti. So Ramanuja was, in a sense, the first Vedanta commentator, or at least a commentator whose works are extant, uh, who really sort of infuses uh, Vedanta with these. Uh, you know, for lack of a better word, popular texts, uh, Puranic texts like uh, the Vishnu Purana. Uh, and he was very biased in his use of Vishnu Purana. He does um, cite from other Puranas here and there, but the bulk of his uh, uh, arguments are supported by material from the Vishnu Purana. Mm. So it's, it's even interesting to me as a specialist, because I don't, you know, I, I, do, I do very different. I do different work than you, um, and mm-hmm. my work is primarily narratological, ideological, or making sense of the Hindu world through narrative, and right. your work is very squarely historical. So it's fascinating for me to, to understand that this, this notion that we, we have ample evidence that the tradition looked to the Puranas right. for systematic thought, and yet mm-hmm. we're only now in the last few decades really grokking this notion that if you want to understand Hindu philosophy, you need to understand Hindu narrative, but it's problematic because it's so uh, interpreting, uh, thinking philosophically and thinking narratologically aren't necessarily the same thing. And, 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 and using stories, um, uh, sort of being able to understand stories the way we understand facts, there's sort of different aspects of us. So I really like this bridge very much. Why don't you, um, why don't you tell our listeners in a nutshell, what is it your book does? What does it say? What's, what's the core takeaway that it accomplishes? Um, the main uh, point that it tries to make through its, uh, all of the chapters um, is that, uh, one, that this was a very unique exegetical strategy that was, that was utilized. So it, it tells us a little bit about, uh, you know, what commentators uh, 
do with material or uh, a lot of times in uh, there are there isn't a lot of information on uh, how commentaries are written or should be written um, and so what my book does is kind of goes behind the scenes of of this commentaries of Ramanuja that we have before us um, kind of looking a little bit at the mechanics of uh, how he was able to argue his point of view while at the same time refuting you know objections from for him the um the rival tradition was um advaita vedanta uh, of shankara so um so so in that sense i think it tells us a lot about uh commentary writing uh it tells us a lot about uh texts how were texts viewed uh this vishnu purana which is a you know, approximately a fourth century text, uh, how did it transform uh, 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 the sort of the doctrine, philosophy, uh, religious expression of 12th century um, South India? Mm -hmm. that's, that's really fascinating. Um, that's, that's very rich. Um, what, uh, maybe tell our readers briefly what sources you used or what was your data? Like, what did you look at? Right. So the uh, the sources uh, that I utilize are three of Ramanuja's main commentaries. Uh, one is the Vedartha Sangraha, uh, which is his commentary on all the Upanishads. Uh, Ramanuja did not write commentaries on um, individual Upanishads um, like Shankara did. So the Vedartha Sangraha uh, and uh, his commentary on the Brahma Sutras. Uh, and also the Bhagavad Gita. So these three are considered to be, um, to, to kind of comprise the Vedanta canon uh, uh, and writing commentaries on these texts uh, sort of legitimated one as a commentator in Vedanta circles uh, in medieval times. Um, so so the, the source texts are these three texts. Uh, and I then, in the text explore his use of Vishnu Purana, where he uses it and how he uses it. So it requires a little bit of, um, uh, it's not just about the quotations, it's about how those Vishnu Purana quotations um, actually aid in his, 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 argument, his argument. And just to be clear, the quotations, he quotes the Vishnu Purana in these commentaries himself. That's correct. Yes, and um, and we can find actually these quotations in the critical edition of the the Vishnu Purana that has been um, you know published 1990, I think, uh, by P Peter Schreiner. So at least by the 12th century, the Vishnu the the Vishnu Purana as we have today uh, is, is the same as the the text that we have today. So oh. this is not an this is not a question of him, you know, making up quotations or, um, um, you know, that we can't find the quotations in, um, you know, our, our editions of, of the, the Vishnu Purana, so on and so forth. So. so would you, in your opinion, do you find that his reading of the Vishnu Purana is relatively true to the Purana as someone may read it um, outside of that context? Or do you find that it's somewhat strained for the sake of his right, theological right. bent? Right, and this is this is a very very important question, because it it kind of goes directly to it addresses directly how we view texts, 
um, it seems to me from, um, you know, working with these commentaries and, you know, the, the use of the Vishnu Purana that Puranas in some sense were not uh, sort of read in and of themselves. Um, I mean, sure, there were uh, performances, uh, there were recitations, recitations of the Puranas that took place in temples and other public arenas. But I think always there was a sort of a dependence on some kind of a commentary, whether it was a written commentary, uh, as in the case of Ramanuja, or oral commentaries. So I, I, I think it's, if you look at the Vishnu Purana itself, um, I think you can find both Advaita and Vishishta Advaita uh, interpretations of, of, you know, or, or views of ultimate reality and Vishnu. Uh, but it's, it's it, in, the, in the hands of a master exegete <laughs> like Ramanuja, uh, I think he's able to successfully read the Vishnu Purana first uh, through the lens of his self-body framework. Right. Yes. And then use it to, and then use these Puranic verses to actually read <clears throat> some of the uh, Shruti texts themselves. Mm. So this is, this is all interpretation. Um, and and it's, it's, it's difficult to say, is the Vishnu Purana Advaitic or Vishishta Advaitic or Advaita, mm. you know, is written from Advaita oh. perspective. I think the text is fluid enough overall right that that any of the above frameworks can be can be um sort of um had from it uh, and so so this this resonates with with my understanding of the puranas uh, although i think of it in the inverse whereas my sense is that the very genre of puranas and the epics they function to sew together these various strands so they yeah. function in the popular culture to uphold ideologies that come from these various sectarian or philosophical strands. And so narrative is the most powerful way to unite contradiction or play with tensions or, or preserve tensions. And it seems to me that the Puranas purposefully um, bring together various uh, ideas as only narrative can. And so the fact that uh, different exegetes from different traditions can now... Um, distill that, you know, kind of reverse engineer. <laughs> right, absolutely, yes. The project of the Puranas, it's very fascinating to me. Um, I wonder, uh, so... Um, so so one, um, as a lead up to the, uh, uh, the the answer to the question that you, you just asked about, is the Vishnu Purana Advaitic or Vishishta Advaitic? Um, one example in, uh, this comes up in, in, in chapter three on his, um, in his commentary, the Sri Bhashya, Ramanuja purposefully has the Advaitin objector cite the Vishnu Purana to establish the Advaita point of view. And then in his conclusion, the Siddhanta, he goes on to, to refute it. Uh, so this the strategy, right? So he's not, he's not choosing a text uh, simply because it serves his purpose. He's, he's almost reclaiming the Vishnu Purana um, as a Vishnu text, um, uh, you know, and 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 this is this is very, it's, it's it's a wonderful strategy where he's very upfront in having the objector use it, you know, mm -hmm. to to ha to support his views and then uh, sort of you know take it all back in in, yeah. in his um, you know argument against why the Vishnu Purana shouldn't be read that way. 
Mm. No, it's, it is fascinating. Um, tell us, I mean, there's so much we could, we could have an entire uh, podcast on just reading texts or texts in South Asia and, and the, the symbiosis between ideology and, and narrative, which is sort of where I live. But let's go more into the heart of your findings and um, maybe unpack for our listeners, you know, what does the Vishnu Purana affirm for him in terms of his conceptions of self? Right. And so, like, um, what, what are the concepts that he really right. affirms? So, yeah, so there's a, a, there are several sort of strands or themes running through all of my chapters, uh, and the Vishnu uh, and these themes are 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 concerns of of Ramanuja because they're sort of unique features of Vishishtad like the Vedanta, and in all the, for all these features, then he depends on the the Vishnu Purana. So to uh, so first, uh, Ramanuja was very. Uh, uh, sort of intent on uh, claiming and affirming Brahman as the cause of the world, right? As the material cause of the world. Uh, so to put this in perspective, he was responding to the Advaita point of view, right? That the world is uh, illusion, right? It's, uh, it's a, a cognition, right? That can be uh, uh, corrected, so to speak, with um, right knowledge, right? So for Ramanuja, who's coming from a very um, sort of a devotional Sri uh, Vaishnava context, uh, temple worship, uh, the image in the temple, uh, devotion and popular devotional practices were very important. Uh, and so for him, uh, uh, arguing that the material world is real, uh, but at the same time is a product of, of Brahman or Vishnu was, was very important. So that's one point uh, for which he depends heavily on the Vishnu Purana. Uh, the second point is uh, to distinguish. Um, again, this goes back to, um, to uh, Advaita commentaries. Uh, he was very keen to establish the distinction between the individual self and Brahman. Um, so in Advaita, individual, when you have the right uh, understanding or realization, there is no distinction of individual self and Brahman. Uh, for Ramanuja, even when you're liberated, that distinction is maintained because Vishnu as the supreme deity, right, uh, sort of rules over uh, liberated souls who are ever in um, sort of adoration and worship of him. Right? So even in liberation, that distinction is not erased. So that's, that's the second important point. The third important point for which he um, uh, depends on the Vishnu Purana is in his uh, uh, definition of ignorance or avidya and uh, how that affects uh, the embodiment of the individual self. So for, so consistently, if you look at the, the three commentaries, it is these points, right, on which he goes to the Vishnu Purana for support, right? And the Vishnu Purana is uh, able to provide Ramanuja uh, through his reading, right, of the Vishnu Purana, these uh, support for these, um, for these arguments. So the main features of Vishishta Advaita Vedanta are, uh, if you look in his commentaries, are, are, are firmly indebted um, in some sense to the Vishnu Purana passages and Ramanuja's reading of the Vishnu Purana. That is, that is fascinating, fascinating material. 
Is there anything that, that surprised you when you were coming across this material and, and, and drafting this book or looking at the sources? Is there, is there something in particular that really threw you for a loop or, or, or you know, you may have wished you had known going in or tell us what surprised you about this? Yeah. Um, so the, I was very naive at first, uh, thinking that I would just have to um, sort of evaluate and analyze, right, uh, Ramanuja's commentaries, right, and uh, look at his citations on the Vishnu Purana, and then uh, sort of, uh, you know, conclude, right, how the Vishnu Purana helps him, doesn't help him, vis-a-vis -vis other sources, um, other sources such as the Upanishads. Um, what I found was that in order for me to fully understand what Ramanuja was, how he was using the Vishnu Purana, I had to actually look at Advaita commentaries um, as well on uh, some of these topics uh, that, you know, that use the Vishnu Purana. So it kind of expanded my research, um, sort of uh, the data I needed to collect uh the the sources uh were increased um not only that uh i also had to look at commentaries on ramanuja's commentaries so sub commentaries by his disciples um just to make sure that i was i stayed within the tradition not that not that i should be but i wanted to make sure that the way i thought ramanuja was interpreting the vishnu purana was was in line with later Sri Vaishnava tradition. Um, and I wanted to make a note of if, if I was or wasn't, right, uh, and why the case may be, but I really kind of wanted to document that. So that kind of <laughs> expanded the project uh, uh, in, in, in surprising ways. It was, it, was, um, it was a lot of work, but also very rewarding. So, so much, like, um, uh, much like Ramanuja himself, you had to understand, uh, fully understand the opponent's point of view. <laughs> yeah, and this and this takes us back to what we started the our conversation with is this whole idea of intertextuality and how texts are sort of woven together. And in order to to understand a text, uh, it's important to look at textual con uh, the, the textual context, the interpretive communities that are are mm. uh, uh, involved in 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 you know composing these commentaries. So, mm -hmm. so. Now, for the listeners' benefit, just a tiny bit of context. Um, I had not met uh, Sucharita before, but uh, by some stroke of luck, we were both at the, um, the World Sanskrit Conference. It takes place every three years, um, often in exotic places, like three years ago it was in Bangkok. We were lucky in that it was in our backyard. It was in, it was in Vancouver. It was the 8th to 13th. So she, she hand-delivered her book to me, and uh, there was lots of presentations about intertextuality in the Purana. So, so yes. this is a fascinating, new, exciting uh, avenue of research for all of us. Um, now, tell me then, do you feel that, now you're looking at um, the commentaries of Ramaju's commentaries on behalf of his disciples. Do you right. feel that there was any disjunction or any, um, was there cohesion there or did you feel that various disciples were pulling in different directions or what was your sense of that? Um, his immediate disciples, the works of his immediate disciples, uh, seem to sort of expand on his uh, on his uh, sort of argument. Um, so 
I think by the time of his disciples, there were other Advaita treatises that were um, that were composed that um, you know had refuted which uh, is Advaita doctrines. So his disciples then had to contend with these later Advaita commentaries as well uh, to address the issues against Vishishta Advaita that, that were raised um, you know, in the rival commentaries. So, so in that sense, I think they have to deal with newer material uh, in some sense. Uh, uh, on the other hand, they always claim as um, exegetes do that they are following Ramanuja, right? But they're making what he had said clearer, uh, you know, to 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 our understanding. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, no, that, that's interesting. So there's various pieces. Tell us, what was your favorite chapter? What was your favorite piece writing? What was the piece that you kind of that sung for you that you really like to get out there? Um. I think there's several, but I think uh, the the third chapter, uh, uh, the third chapter on Shribhasya, um, uh, Shribhasya one one one, which is this commentary on Brahma Sutra one one one, is fascinating because I had not expected, uh, you know, Ramanuja to have the Advaitin utilize the Vishnu Purana. Uh, you know, up front, um, and then sort of go on to uh, uh, refute that understanding. So it was, it was, it was very delightful uh, to see that, that, that kind of strategy. Now, um, you know that in uh, South Asian commentarial tradition, uh, there are no texts, at least uh, in the Hindu tradition, that lay out how a commentary should be written, uh, what the rules are. Um, so when I was when I was reading through this, uh, it was it was very uh, it's wonderful to to discover some of these um, sort of strategies uh, of interpretation, uh, you know, that were utilized by um, you know someone in the twelfth century. So, hmm. so where where do you see this research taking you, Sujata? What do you see? is perhaps the uh, an evolutive or the next step or the next question or tell us more right. about where, where where might one build on this or where, where might even you plan to build on this right so um this research has opened up several uh, avenues uh for me uh one avenue uh that i'm pursuing is um looking at the vishnu purana itself on uh, not as a text, but um, the life of Vishnu Purana. Uh, and what I mean by that is I'm, I'm working on two commentaries on the Vishnu Purana, one written from an Advaita perspective and the other written from a Vishishta Advaita perspective, uh, both written after Ramanuja. Uh, one, the Vishishta Advaita commentary is from the, the 13th century and the Advaita commentary on the Vishnu Purana is from the uh, 14th, 15th century. So I, I'm interested in how uh, the Vishnu Purana kind of takes on a life of its own in these commentaries. Uh, you know, not the text itself on its own, but um, how, how it is transformed um, in the hands of these, these two uh, uh, commentators. So just, just to be clear for our listeners, you're, you're referring to the textual, the subsequent textual life of the Vishnu Purana. Absolutely, yes, right. it's interpretive the mode. Yes. The reason I ask is because, for example, 
Are you familiar with um, the work of Makamas Taylor, for example? Absolutely, yes. And so he's yes. looking at the Bhagavata Purana, but yes. the performative life thereof. Mm-hmm. And so what you're, what you're looking at is the, is the subsequent textual life. Absolutely, of yes. the Purana, just to be right. clear. Right, right. Okay. And, and the thing is that these, these are not simply texts. Uh, I mean, they're texts, but they're also embedded in, in you know, a social cultural context. Mm. Um, so it would be interesting to see um, how that 200 year uh, difference uh, between the Vishishtadvaita and Advaita, uh, you know, when they were written, uh, what effect that would have had on, uh, you know, how the, the Vishnu Purana was um, interpreted. This, this brings us to really fascinating and important observation, I think, about um, Indian civilization, you know, Indian culture as a whole. Um, this idea of, um, I don't know even, there's so many pieces, where do I start? So just this idea of the fluidity of the Puranas, that this is a really important idea, um, that the, the Vedic corpus is fixed. It's all about precise ritual enunciation, etc. And that the Puranas as argued by various scholars, um, that they are, the, the class of text itself serves to fill this need for fluidity and engagement and rolling with the times, right? And so does that resonate with you in terms of the function of the Puranas? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think uh, what, what the Vishnu Purana means uh, to someone who's coming from a Vishishtadvaita perspective as opposed to somebody coming from an Advaita perspective, uh, is is very different, and these and even within Vishishta Advaita and Advaita, there are um, there are a lot of, uh, sort of permutations, right? I mean, there is a history of Vishishta Advaita philosophy, and there's a history of Advaita philosophy. So, um, so it 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 becomes important how uh, at a specific uh, time and place, uh, you know, utilizing a specific framework. Uh, whether it's Advaita or Vishishta Advaita, how, how these texts were sort of, uh, you know, mined to give authority to the, the religious tradition that was, that was commenting on, on, on the Vishnu Purana or, or, or on mm. these And so from, from, a, from an, so one concept we use in religious studies is emic versus etic and emic being the insider's perspective as a devotee of Vishnu or as, or as an, uh, an intellectual adherent to Advaita Vedanta, for example. Right. versus uh, what we do in scholarship, the etic perspective, which is what can we understand from outside the tradition. And they're not necessarily hard and fast, mutually exclusive. The emic position is going to inform the etic position. So the data of religion itself is not just the hard data. It's also what people believe about the data. It's also how they relate to the data. Absolutely. Um, and so this, this, this idea that, that the Vishnu Purana um, can be both can serve to um, to what's the word Auth- authorize serve to authorize legitimize these various legitimize. traditions. Yeah. How could it be any other way? Because both of these traditions are legitimized within the one tradition that legitimizes the Vishnu Purana. And so, insofar as the Vishnu Purana's job is to legitimize the Hindu religious tradition, right? It's right. it's going to speak to these various strands. So, in a sense, in a sense, it seems to me that the wisest approach to the text is one of this text is, is going to be saying different things at different times because the tradition does. And so, yes, you, yes, you can, as an Advaita Vedantin, see this text through the Advaita Vedanta lens, but I think the bird's eye view is one that the text is itself lending itself to. 
interpretation, if that makes absolutely. any sense. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So cool. So, so the life of the text is something you want to explore. And I, I kind of felt that you had something else you wanted to say, other offshoots or other developments of the research. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm also working on a f- uh, other projects uh, on Sri Vaishnavism, uh, looking at the, more of the um, sort of uh, the religious expression uh, in Sri Vaishnavism. So I'm working on a paper on inscriptions uh, at mm. a Sri Vaishnava center from the 15th century. So, um, so yeah, so. What actually got you, why Sri Vaishnavism? Why Sri Vaishnavism? What was the draw there? Um, I think I was looking for a alternative to Advaita Vedanta. Mm. Um, and I, 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 I don't intend, I, I don't mean to say that I understood Advaita so well that, that I found it, uh, you know, I, that I didn't find it persuasive. Um, but I wanted to know how, uh, from within the tradition, how, how, how the tradition had, um, responded, uh, to something so, so radical as Advaita Vedanta. Um, the world is an illusion. Um, and then the question is, well, what happens with, with all the ritual, uh, worship, devotion, right? So, um, so I think it was, it was kind of my, my investigation into that, um, that led me to, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about that. I think either consciously or unconsciously part of my draw for the Devi Mahatmya Mm-hmm. Uh, this text is because you know it's it's narrative but it's also deeply philosophical when you're back the narrative and it's basically the job of people like me to do so right but the overarching thrust of it um i think counters this um classical hindu upanishadic notion that the world is a trap and the and then and then the orientation of the wise person is to get the heck out of it right, because, right. you know why would you want to be who cares how comfortable the cage is you want freedom and, right. and this sort of, one can make the argument that, yeah, you know, classical Hinduism has no platform for social activism because of this moksha, liberation-oriented bent. And then the pendulum can swing the other way. You can make the argument that, no, the, the Puranic narratives, the epics themselves, the Devi Mahatmya, are so squarely about um, kingship and world affirmation and life in the world that, that, that somehow the natural, the, 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 the pendulum sways from the Vedic world affirmation to the Upanishadic you know, escaping the world now back to this narrative where you need to embrace the multiplicity of life. Right, right. And, and, and that actually also, it's a very important point that underscores uh, this, this sort of plurality of interpretations uh, that, that, was, that, that is sort of inherent, um, right, in, in um, Hindu traditions of South Asia, uh, where you can have an Advaita perspective, but a Vishishta Advaita and Advaita perspective as well. Um, so it kind of creates, um, you know, a lot of variety. Yeah, and if when I teach Hinduism, or even when I think about Hinduism, I remind myself that the most fruitful ways to compartmentalize and to think perspectively and provisionally, and that if you're looking for a is Hinduism polytheistic, is Hinduism monotheistic, is it, it's just it's this it's this myriad of various traditions that somehow tacitly coexist, and I think that. 
that coexistence is best enacted and preserved in narratives like the Vishnu Purana. So it's no doubt uh, that you wisely are looking to um, even Ramanuja's use of the Vishnu Purana. Um, right. So quite enjoyed this work. I think it's important for, for obvious reasons based on this conversation. Um, we have taken up, I believe, enough of your time for one day. <laughs> um, is there anything else um, do you want to tell us? You've already told us what you're working on, which is great. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners in terms of where you're at or how to find you or all that? Uh, no, not really. I okay. mean, everything's available online, you know, okay. information. So. No problem. Okay, so it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Raj. Um, my pleasure. And we will look forward to more exciting um, Hindu Studies works uh, unpacked on here on the Hindu Studies channel of the New Books Network. Until then, take good care. Bye-bye.